Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Nine, 12, 10. 28-2-23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Your Favorite Gloomy Day podcast. We're all going to die radio. Uh, I'm joined today by my co-host, Heather Williams. Hello, Heather. Hi, John. How's it going? I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, we're alive, which, you know, given what's been happening in the world uh, is not something to overlook. Uh, and so to take advantage of our good luck in surviving, uh, we thought we would invite a couple of really, really smart people on today to talk about, I don't, this is like the greatest story that's come out in the last couple of weeks, the Russian space-based nuclear, whatever you want to call it, um, that news broke over the last week or so uh, that Russia is um, considering putting up into space uh, to threaten us, everybody, itself, satellites, aliens. We're going to talk about it all. So uh, to talk through these issues, we're really pleased to be joined by Laura Grego. Laura Grego is a senior scientist at the Union of Concerned Scientists. Hello, Laura. Hello. Uh, and David Sanger. David is, David, I forget the honorific senior diplomatic correspondent emeritus. Not even close, but good. But good. <laughs> um, uh, White House, <laughs> New York Times. I'm the White House and National Security Card. White House and National. David writes for the New York Times and has for, uh, I think, for the last century, um, but is uh, an incredibly gifted and insightful and well informed both uh, reporter and analyst on national security, nuclear, uh, uh, and deterrence issues. Um, 
And then, of course, not to be outdone, our own Heather Williams had an op-ed in the New York Times this week on whether or not the Russian nuclear story is our Sputnik moment. Uh, Heather, how old were you when Sputnik was launched? Don't answer the question. I'm not answering um, the question. <laughs> thank you very much. So um, I really wanted to start off by turning to David, who helped break the story, to really lay out in pretty simplistic terms what the hell is going on and what does the United States think that the Russians are doing? Well, first, John, um, it's great to be back on with you. Uh, this is the moment when the Biden administration had its um, James Bond incident because think there are a lot of early Bond movies, Moonraker, others where, uh, you know, activities all taking place up in space, usually more interesting than what we're discussing Vladimir Putin doing here. Um, we, you could argue we've had our Star Trek moment because there was an early Star Trek episode in which uh, a nuclear weapon is set off uh, in space, or at least is uh, destroyed in space. And, um, that's where Vladimir Putin seems to want to take us uh, beyond Ukraine. Um, so how did this all happen? The chairman of the House uh, Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, turned out a statement about a week and a half ago, an angry statement that we believe had been approved by other members of his committee that basically said the United States faces a very major and somewhat imminent national security threat, which he did not describe, and that he was urging the Biden administration to declassify much of the material so that it could um, be discussed widely. And we'll take up Heather on that later on, because in her op-ed, she was uh, less enthused than I was and had the idea of having this uh, declassified. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. He did not say what this threat was. And so, but he laid out enough of the urgency of it that it took us sometime between 20 and 25 minutes to go like sort out the basics of the story, which was that um, the United States feared that Vladimir Putin would be putting a nuclear weapon into space. Now, that would be a violation of the 1967 Outer Space Treaty which I think was probably signed before John was born, but you don't need to say. I was around. I was around. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't around. reading treaties, but I was around. Oh, okay. Were you writing them? That's the more important question. <laughs> so um, the um, 1967 Space Treaty, for those of you who don't keep it by your bedside, basically tries to avoid the militarization of space and specifically prohibits putting nuclear weapons into space. Um, there haven't been many nuclear weapons in space, but there was one famous experiment done. Whenever the question is, who has done something this wildly stupid to go do? The answer is almost always us, right? Uh, and in 1962, the United States launched a nuclear weapon on an ICBM, exploded it in somewhat low Earth orbit just to sort of watch what would happen. And the answer was, I think it knocked out the phone and maybe the electric systems in Hawaii. Um, that, and then after this, people looked at it and said, this was so stupid, we really ought to ban it. 
even this is really good. Even during the Cold War, they're like, wow, this one's really stupid. Let's not do this. Anymore. Yes. You're right. It had, a really really cool yeah. it had a really cool name. You have to you have to think that when the when the people who were running our nuclear weapons and our space programs in the early nineteen sixties were scared at what they were doing. And it had to be really, really bad. Okay. So, so David, uh, quickly tell us where you think, where, where the U.S. government thinks this program is, because I want to turn to Laura to talk about really what happens sure. when, when you detonate a nuke in space. When, when you do this. So um, we dug in a little bit further uh, during the Munich Security Conference, where there were lots of experts on, on this and lots of people who were familiar with it. And here's what we discovered that uh, about two years ago, around the time of the invasion of uh, Ukraine, the Russians set off a, uh, a launch in which they launched what was essentially a dummy warhead into orbit. And it took the United States some period of time to go detect what had happened, but concluded that this was, in fact, a, uh, a test to see if they could actually put a nuclear weapon sort of dressed up as a satellite into low Earth orbit. And the fear was that they're now maybe getting ready in the next year or so to do the real thing. The level of confidence in this intelligence, always an important thing, is low. And there are divisions within the U.S. intelligence agencies about what Putin's intentions are. Um, what would happen if he do, did this? And then I'll, I'll shut up and we can hear from the experts here what it would be. It would basically take out um, a large number of the communication satellites. It used to be you could just shoot satellites down. But if you think of Starlink, there are thousands and thousands of satellites up there. It's Starlink that has driven the Russians crazy during the Ukraine war because it's kept the Ukrainian government communicating. It's what kept Zelensky being able to talk to his people. It's what's kept their command and control together. With a nuclear weapon, you could take out a whole field of uh, weapons. And that essentially is uh, what the utility of this would be. Now, over the weekend in Munich, uh, Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken was there, and a group of us saw him, and he was headed off to see the Chinese and the Indians to make the point that nuclear weapons exploded in space do not discriminate by nationality. And that if Putin does this, he's going to take out the Chinese satellites, the Indian satellites, and probably his own satellites. Maybe not. We can get to that later. Um, and that in the end, uh, they should sort of take them aside and explain to them that this would be almost as stupid as our 1962 launch. So, uh, Laura, you know, I, I love having, you know, PhD experimental physics um, uh, physicists at, at my disposal. Tell me <laughs> what actually happens if you try to set off a nuclear weapon in space? Because I've I've been trying to get smarter on this. Um, it, there are a lot of documents that date back to the 60s and 70s. I learned about mm -hmm. cassava howitzers, which are all sorts of you know cool. You can go Google cassava howitzer. But tell us what we think it would be the effects of this, and as David was saying, what the impacts would be on satellites in space. Sure. Well, I I'd never heard of cassava howitzers, so thank you. That's already worth the price of admission here, which I think is free. But um, yes, so cassava howitzer. Um, so just, just back up a little bit. Um, the Outer Space Treaty has one specific um, technology ban, and that is not stationing 
uh, weapons of mass destruction in space. So that stationing is really the key word in that. And I think that was the thing that caught all of our space lookers' attention because that means putting something permanently in orbit. And there is some discussion about the legal analysis of whether something goes in orbit for a short period of time is in orbit. But the starfish experiment that David mentioned um, from 1963 wasn't stationed in space. It was popped up on, on a missile. And the reason I'm drawing our attention to that is because countries that have been able to do pop-up nuclear detonations, you know, decades and decades and decades. So nothing about detonating a nuclear weapon in space is a new thing. And countries, certainly Russia and the United States, lots of countries can put um, satellites in space that are a few hundred kilograms. We can put satellites in space that are a ton. So there's nothing big in the technology there either that you can put something the size of a nuclear weapon in orbit. It's really that you might even consider doing that. And so then I'm going to get to the question you asked me, which is what happens? And so we know a little bit about it from the from the tests that happened in the 60s before we got smart and we had the partial test ban treaty, which, which banned uh, nuclear tests above ground. And so what happens, um, and, and that starfish experiment was really a big weapon that was like 1.4 megatons. So that's an example of a really big nuclear weapon detonation in space. Um, and it was at a sort of relatively low altitude, around 300 kilometers. So the Earth caught caught a lot of the effects as well. But if you were going to detonate one up like a little bit higher, like right in where the satellites kind of have their missions, um, what happens is really the first thing that happens that satellites that can really damage satellites is that you have this huge burst of x-rays, really many high energy x-rays and um, the satellites themselves, which are, you know, made of metal and they have solar panels and lots of vulnerable components. Those x-rays can generate um, EMP currents and they can burn out your sensitive electronics. They can degrade the, um, the optics, like the mirrors and the solar panels they can, if you're not shielded, if you haven't built your satellite to withstand that kind of thing, they could fail right away. So anything in the direct line of sight of that nuclear weapon detonation could sort of immediately fail. So back when Starfish, the Starfish experiment happened in the early 60s, there were only 24 satellites in space. And so... Right. So we learned something about those satellites. Now in low Earth orbits, there's like 7,000. And we're just, we're putting them up at a super rapid pace. So, so many more satellites would be in the line of sight. I, I haven't done the math on this. Uh, I was really not expecting to even think about this in this day and age. Um, so that's, that, that's the immediate effect is you can, as David said, really damage or destroy a whole bunch of things at once. So that's what happens right away. But it also has this very long-term effect where um, some of the fission byproducts can inject high-energy electrons in the Van Allen belts, which are these uh, trapped trapped high-energy particles um, around that, that are trapped by the Earth's magnetic field. And sometimes they can you know, generate really beautiful things like the aurora borealis. But if you're a satellite, you're not going to enjoy that at all because you will uh, up your radiation budget. So all satellites are built with some ability to withstand radiation. And you kind of have a budget for it. And if you just eat up that budget because you've dumped a bunch of high energy electrons, your satellite's going to fail much sooner, you know, maybe even in weeks rather than years. 
And that will happen to satellites indiscriminately. As David said, like you are not, you can't tailor this to take out your adversary satellites. Everybody who's using space will have the same problem. Um, so that's one reason why the United States is going to talk to China, India, others who might have some sway over Russia to say, obviously, we would be very unhappy um, if you did this. So that's more or less the technology. Great. Um, if I can just jump in, then you both, I find it interesting, you both pointed out, this isn't that new, like the some of the uh, technology here, the idea behind it. So Laura, I'll start with you, but then also want to go to make sure we get to David on this one. Why would Russia do this now? Um, and David's piece and his reporting, you know, has suggested that this might have been tested closer to the start of the war in Ukraine. Um, the White House spokesperson said that this is, I think the phrase was, this is not an active capability. Uh, so it might still be something that we can try to deter from happening. But why now? Why would Putin be pursuing this type of activity now? Um, so Laura, I'll start with you. Well, I can think of I can think of two reasons. Um, first, sort of in the technological reason, as I mentioned, there's nothing putting putting nuclear weapon in space isn't demonstrating a new capability that Russia didn't have yesterday or last week or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, right? So it would. But what's new is sort of stationing it in space, which is which is a weird thing because it is a really direct contradiction to a well-established treaty with a well, you know, nobody's questioned this. Don't put nuclear weapons in orbit. No one's questioned this. It's not an active discussion. So it, it seems it may be sort of set to telegraph a very high risk tolerance for Russia, it's doing something that is uh, boundary crossing. Uh, saying, I mean, Russia has been doing a lot of this during the Ukraine crisis with nuclear weapons, especially, and this is like another sort of lever into that same thing. That's maybe one rationale. I actually struggle to see exactly what is unmistakable about the test that they did that would suggest this truly is a nuclear weapon. I don't understand. I don't know the means and methods, but um, certainly, if you're going to load a nuclear weapon onto a rocket, it is very dangerous. It presents a really dangerous thing. You'd have, of course, be accompanied by a whole sorts of all sorts of people. So I don't know. I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that there's low confidence that this is what's happening. But let's say that there that that's what's happening. I would say it, it's one thing is does is demonstrate this risk. But the other thing we've also mentioned is that. Um, the uh, one of the strategies for the United States to improve its resilience to threats, meaning keep making sure that other countries cannot deny the U.S., especially military, the benefits it gains from space is this idea of proliferating satellites into a constellation rather than a, a few small, juicy, expensive satellites that provide you a really great capability to instead Rather, rather than having one um, amazing satellite that you could target and take out and, and sort of a single point failure is to distribute that capability in a big constellation of satellites that if you lose one or two, you can degrade pretty gracefully rather than catastrophically. And that strategy then presents a different sort of strategic question for Russia. How would we demonstrate to the United States that we can hold that capability at risk? And so this type of weapon can take out a lot of satellites at a time. So that may be saying, again, don't get too comfortable in what you have. We have these abilities to take out a lot of satellites. Russia has demonstrated anti-satellite capabilities of other types. Um, so as 
so I have other countries, but they're more like picking satellites off one at a time. And this would be a sort of a big collateral damage type of thing. David, what do you think? Why now? Well, a few reasons. Um, and I agree with everything that Laura has said. So first, the strategic reason, if you're going to try to blind the United States in a period of conflict, maybe before you use your conventional nuclear weapons, taking out the command and control, disrupting the space command part of this would be step one. And so that's, that's that. Second, the U.S. has made no secret of the fact that it is moving from these big, expensive satellites to the swarms. They just signed a deal uh, with Starlink uh, last year that will create basically a military version of Starlink. So that's a second uh, reason that you would want something that could take everything at once. Thirdly, it's very possible that all that Putin wants here is the doubt about whether he has a nuclear capability in space. You notice that two days ago, after our stories appeared and those of others, he said, I'm a big believer in the um, space treaty, and uh, I'm not going to violate it. In fact, I would like to strengthen it, but the United States has kept me from doing this. This, this was heartening, except if you remembered that two years ago this week, he was also saying he wasn't going to invade Ukraine. Um, and uh, so it's very possible that they will launch something, and it will be unclear to us whether it was a dummy or a real nuclear weapon, in which case it's not clear if there's a space treaty violation. And he may well be thinking that no one is going to go to nuclear war to um, counter an explosion that does not kill human beings. We know what happens if he hits Los Angeles, right? They lose St. Petersburg. But we don't know what happens if he set off a nuclear weapon in space that just hit other hardware. And my guess is, and I think his guess is, that no American president would then start up a conventional nuclear war because they had set off a nuclear weapon in space. So, uh, Heather, I'm, you're not just a host today. You're the, you're the stucky. Um, just how big do you think this is, right? I mean, you study deterrence and nuclear strategy, and you, you know, have done a lot of thinking about sort of Putin's risk calculus. Why would Putin go in this direction? I'm going to caveat this a lot in that I think David's reporting has been fantastic and has brought us a lot of information. I think there's still a lot we just don't know. Um, the White House obviously has been very careful about what comes out. I think the White House has had a few contradictory statements as well about what this is or what this might be, where, you know, Kirby made said certain things and then Jake Sullivan tries to roll it back. Um, so I, I think I'm in a bit more of a like wait and see, and there are some really crucial details that we want. Uh, I, I think based on Kirby's statements, we can say this is a space-based anti-satellite capability that violates the Outer Space Treaty. So we, we think we know what that means. Why would Putin do this now? For me, it's very, it has to be tied to the war in Ukraine. Nuclear weapons have been an essential part of Putin's strategy, even though he hasn't, you know, used one in the detonation sense. Very much he's been relying on nuclear deterrence for coercive purposes uh, to try to keep NATO out, to try to slow NATO support, to try to, you know, send a very strong message. Don't even think about trying to take Crimea, for example. 
And so I, I think David makes a really important point, which is maybe Putin wants us to think that he has this capability. This is part of a bigger nuclear strategy and nuclear signaling piece. Uh, with that said, I mean, I have no idea what Vladimir Putin's thinking. I don't think anybody really does. Uh, but I, I do think that this tracks a bit with past behavior, particularly in Ukraine. But also, I mean, Putin just doesn't care about arms control agreements. I think, you know, withdrawing from them is also part of the signal. So this this is somewhat on trend uh, for Putin. But, so um, I, I agree with a lot of what's been said here, but I, I think it's worth sort of broadening this conversation out for a second, right? So I wrote a piece this past week uh, for the for the Federation of American Scientists um, website because the New York Times doesn't call me for my op-eds, Heather, but I'm not bitter. Oh, they, um, did, oh, they didn't call me. We just, we were persistent. Oh, uh, see, you persisted. See, that's why she persisted. Um, so um, Putin's doing a lot of stupid nuclear stuff, right? Um, he's got a long range, high speed underwater torpedo that's going to go from uh, the Pacific coast all the way to Los Angeles. Um, he's got a nuclear power. Well, talk about the bond, talk about the bond movie. Oh yeah. Here, well, right? like you, you didn't, yeah, you forget, yeah. you forgot Dr. No, which is up in space where they're capturing yeah, stuff. And, right? and it wasn't right. even the Russians, right? They think it's us and the Japanese. This is when the Japanese were another threat too. So you really got to mind the history here. So John, I think Laura and Heather are going to begin to question our, 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 our movie uh, tastes from our youth. Heather, I'm, I'm question waiting for the Hunt for Red October reference. That's what I'm here for. So. I was going to say that some things in space don't react well to x-rays and see whether anybody got the hunt. But um, so in addition to the long range torpedo, the Poseidon, uh, he's got the uh, long range nuclear powered nuclear tip cruise missile, which is going to fly around the earth for a few days. Right. And attack wonderfully called the Skyfall name Skyfall. Speak of. So, Speak of Bond references here. Yeah. So in my piece, I said that we need a name for the new nuke in space. We should call it the Starburst uh, and get branding for it. Although ooh, I don't know if it's Starburst ooh, yeah. is still selling in Russia. But my point is these programs have been funded for the last 20 years, right? Um, when Putin was worried about his conventional weakness in comparison to NATO and the United States, he had money from oil and he started to pour it into any sort of program he thought could make up the gap. It's very similar to what we did during the Cold War when we thought that we were a conventional disadvantage and we came up with nuclear landmines and the Davy Crockett, you know, shoulder fired nuke, right? They were trying to figure out how to counter what we thought was our uh, the Soviet advantage. And it's possible that this space program is another one of these things that was mothballed back in the 70s and 80s and has just sort of come back to life because he threw a lot of money into the nuclear system. The question is then, why do we think that he's getting active with this program now? And I think there is a tie to the Ukraine war. There's a tie, as Heather said, he wants to poke us and show, or at least, as Laura said, create the impression that he could, if he wanted to, to put us on the back heel. Um, but I think there are just different interpretations. It could be this is Putin, the rogue aggressor, looking to, to go first. It could be that he wants to attack and then play defense. I'll blow it all up, so don't come back at me. Or it may be that this is just technical capabilities that are being advanced, and they don't really know how they're going to employ these systems. And all three are plausible. We really just don't have a lot of great insight on this. Isn't that so? Yeah. I, so I'm going to push back on your last point, John, if I may. Because I, this, this capability is nothing like a new, uh, nothing like these other sort of technological edge 
systems that you mentioned. This is old technology and it's bad technology. Honestly, there's been, if, if you are so moved to detonate a nuclear weapon in space, there is a much more secure way to do it. You launch it on a missile, right? You, then you keep custody of your nuclear weapon at all times until you're ready to use it. It's the worst, the worst idea is to put it in space where you don't have hands on it. You barely have eyes on it. You are, you are uh, subject to the hostile space environment, which includes radiation, which includes space debris. Um, and inc- it's, it's the least secure way to do this particular thing. So, which makes me think it is got to, I mean, again, speculation only, more of a signaling exercise than any kind of technological rationale. In fact, it seems so so poor from a strategic rationale because you're giving up your command and control in a substantial way and not getting any new technical capability for it. So, so, so we're going to, we're going to take a break in a minute. We're going to go into a speed round, okay. just how stupid is this idea and why, yeah. which is going to be really valuable. But in a way you're sort of proving my point, which is um, in the piece that I wrote, it was, it's possible, although I don't think Putin deserves any sympathy, that part of this is he's still worried about this idea of an American splendid strike going first and blowing up his ability to use nuclear weapons, right? This idea that we could use conventional capabilities, cyber, David, I think one of your many books is on cyber, um, you know, missile defense to mop up, and that he wouldn't necessarily have assets, all access to all of his programs. And so this is sort of another one of these insurance policies. But again, we don't know. At any rate, what I'm going to do now, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye to many of our listeners, because this is the part on the program where David Rothkoff uh, wants to make sure that I am well-funded and Heather is well-funded. And then this high-tech media empire of his continues to roll along. And so um, if you want to keep listening to this podcast, if you want to listen to all of our other podcasts uh, that generally go public and then behind the paywall, it's $5 a month if you go to the Deep State Radio Network. Uh, deepstateradio.com. You pay $5 a month and you get access not just to this full podcast, but the full suite that David and other hosts uh, do on a variety of national security, domestic, political, foreign policy issues. It's well worth the money. It's like a latte and a quarter of a croissant. So it's definitely worth your time. Um, But for those listeners who are not members, we're going to say goodbye. And for those members uh, that are uh, fully paying parts of the Deep State Network, Uh, Please stay tuned.